Wow, wouldn't it feel great to have your whole entire slate, all of, all of your history, all of your failures, all of your regrets, wouldn't it feel great if, if literally that could all be just wiped clean? Wouldn't it feel great if, if you were here last week, if all the stuff that I asked you to own last week, wouldn't it be great that if instead of owning it, what if it could just be, all be taken away? Not counted against you. Not brought up in every argument that you have with that significant other in your life. Wouldn't it be great if you could go to bed at night and you could lie down and a million words of failure and guilt didn't run across your mind as you tried to go to sleep? Wouldn't it be great if your slate could just totally be wiped clean? And, and not just for you, but wouldn't it be great if, if you could give that to other people in your life? Now, for some of you, as you, as you watch that video, you, you felt some envy in your spirit, some desire, some wish, some, some hopefulness that, that you know, maybe, maybe somehow that could happen for you. And, and for some of you, you felt a different emotion. You felt tension. Or you felt anger in your spirit. As you watch that, that, that glass be uh, wiped clean and you watch the steam returning, there was this anticipation in you of, of what's going to happen next. Is, is it just going to get all filled up again? See, that's what makes forgiveness so difficult. Is that for so many of us, it seems like forgiving someone means letting them off the hook. For many of us, forgiveness feels like just, just an endless, wretched cycle where, where people sin against you and, and you wipe their slate clean and then they just go and fill it all up again and, and expect you to wipe it clean again. There's no progress, there's no growth, there's no change. For some of you, forgiveness feels like the great enabler of bad behavior, a bunch of excuses. And so, so many of us end up struggling to forgive people in our lives. And yet we know that it's something that we should do. We know it's good for us. We know that if we're not forgiving others, that means we're somehow holding ourselves in captivity, that, that, that living in unforgiveness is not healthy for us. We know that, and, and so many of us are frustrated that we can't let go. That we keep holding on to stuff that keeps us from moving on. And so today I want to share with you what might be a different angle on, on forgiveness and what it is that holds us back from wiping clean the slate of others in our lives. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, let me pray. Father in heaven, uh, I invite you in today and I, I just confess that Part of me doesn't just feel prepared or ready or equipped for this. Because these things are monumental. They're huge. You talk about forgiveness in Scripture as, as such a vital, important thing. And yet, Father, in my own life, I know it's a hard thing to give. It's a hard thing even to receive. And so I pray that you'd come in today and that you'd speak a clear message to each of us. In spite of our past, in spite of our inability to grab a hold of this, in spite of my inability to communicate it, that you'd come and that you'd have your way and that you'd be glorified and that you'd set people free today. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, one of the most incredible pictures of forgiveness that, that I know of was not what we saw in the video a second ago. It's actually uh, from the scriptures, and I, I want to walk you through it today. It comes from Luke chapter 7. So you can go there in your Bible right now. It's Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. There's a Bible in the rack ahead of you. Also, you can go to your smartphone and go to youversion.com, or your, some of you are just staring at me, because you know the words are coming up here, right? 
Uh, you know they're coming up here in just a second, and they are. Um, so we're going to look at the scripture, a powerful, powerful story of forgiveness and what forgiveness can bring into the lives of people and why holding on, refusing to forgive, can be a, a prison of all prisons. Um, before I get into this, let me just tell you, this is a, a real-life story out of the life of Jesus, not a parable. It's a true story, and we're going to dive in. So Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, says, When one of the Pharisees... Uh, and, and if you know anything about the Gospels, the Pharisees, these are, these are kind of the bad guys. These are the enemies of Jesus. And yet the Pharisees are these very upright, moral people. They are upright and uptight. You, you know people like this in your life, right? Um, they are the religious of the religious. They are honored and esteemed in their society as being the most faithful of all Hebrew people. But they are not fans of Jesus. For all the reasons I mentioned. They are not fans of Jesus because... Jesus doesn't meet their standard for an upright, uptight religious guy. So, so one of these Pharisees, we're going to find out later his name's Simon, one of these Pharisees invites Jesus to have dinner with him at his house. And so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table, because that's how you eat, sitting on a floor reclining at the table. While this is happening, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there, with an alabaster jar of perfume. So, so are you getting this scene? There's already some tension in this scene. You're, you're at this Pharisee's house, this, this guy who's very upright, who's very res- self-respecting, who's very moral. You've got Jesus there, which already creates some tension, because Pharisees and Jesus don't get along. And, and then all of a sudden, you've got this party crasher. This woman from the town who has lived a sinful life, which means that everyone in the town k- kind of knew this woman's story. They knew the kind of life that she had lived probably a pretty obvious, blatant sin that she had in her life. But she finds out that Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. And so uninvited, she goes and crashes the party. And with her, she's got a bottle. Not the kind of bottle you're thinking of. Um, she's She's got a little jar, an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, now this would be something that wealthy people would have a lot of. You know, the extremely wealthy in society, they, they would put this perfume on for feasts, or for festivals, but, but regular people or, or poor people, there wasn't really much of a middle class back then, uh, they might have a jar like this that they would save for a very, very special occasion. And so this woman brings this, this small alabaster jar with her to the Pharisee's house where Jesus is eating because it's a special occasion for her, and we're going to find out what she uses it for. As she stood behind Jesus, at his feet, weeping, So something's going on. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So we don't know much about this woman. We know she's lived a sinful life, but we know something's going on with her here. Because this woman takes her hair, and and in that culture, if you're a woman, your hair is your glory. That's why you, you keep it tied up and covered you don't let it down very often. You only let it down in intimate encounters. And yet this woman, she, she takes down her hair there in the middle of this party. And she wets Jesus' feet with her tears. And she begins to wipe his dirty, grimy feet with her hair. I mean, our culture isn't nearly so self-respecting when it comes to hair. But I mean, can you imagine taking your hair and wiping anything, let alone someone's dirty feet? And then she takes that, that jar of perfume, that, that, that thing that she had kept for some special occasion, and she pours it on Jesus' feet. Something is going on with this woman. 
And if you're tempted to think that maybe this is guilt or remorse, it's not. We're going to find out later exactly what it is. But I'll tell you this, that this woman is grateful for who Jesus is. She must have heard him teach. She must have watched him interact with people like her. And she gets what kind of man he is. And so she goes with gratitude in her heart. And she does this very tender, very intimate, kind of awkward act of, of service and love for Jesus. And, and in the meantime, while she's doing this very tender thing, this very vulnerable thing, this very heartfelt thing, the host of the party, Simon, is sitting there watching all of this, and he has a totally different feel for all of this. Uh, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So, so in contrast to this woman's tenderness, here's this guy who's filled with judgment. He says, man, if, if Jesus were really a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. He, he would not be allowing this stuff to go on. I mean, who doesn't have a person like Simon in your life? I mean, Simon's a guy who's going to throw up your faults to you, put them in your face every chance he can get. We all know people like that in our lives, right? They're quick to remind us of our faults. And yet, in one sense, Simon is, is technically correct that what is going on here is, is not exactly appropriate. See, this woman was sinful. Everyone knew it, which meant she was unclean. And according to Jewish law, if an unclean person touched another person, that person would become unclean. And so Simon's sitting there watching this, and he's saying, something's not right here. Either Jesus isn't a prophet, and he doesn't know the kind of woman that this is. Or if he does know what kind of woman she is, he doesn't have much regard for the Old Testament laws, our, our customs, our ceremonies. So, so in one sense, even though Simon has a judgmental spirit, he, he's partially right. And, and Simon's a guy, I mean, he's a Pharisee, he's studied, he, he thinks he's got this whole sin thing figured out. He understands exactly how it works. And he thinks he understands Jesus. He's got him figured out, but, but he's, he's wrong on all accounts. But on the other hand, Jesus has Simon totally figured out. He's got this guy pegged. And so what Jesus does is, it's, it's funny, Simon is thinking all this stuff in his head. He's thinking all these thoughts. And Jesus, because he is a prophet, he's greater than a prophet, he's the son of God, he, he knows all this. And so Jesus answers Simon's unexpressed thoughts. In a very powerful way with the story. So it says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. Now when you see this word moneylender, don't think of a banker. Um, this is not some respectable moneylender. This is like a loan shark. This is, you know, modern day payday loans, right? Where they charge you an arm and a leg, and they, they, are, they are not out to help you through a hard time. They are out to gouge you. And the people who have to go to a moneylender, they are people who have no other recourse. These are people who are in dire situations. This is, a, this is kind of a last resort effort. So two people who obviously are into some trouble, who maybe aren't being as responsible as they should be, they owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. And the other 50. So a denarius is about a day's wage. So, you know, I don't know, like two years wages compared to about two months wages, maybe you could think about it that way. But neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him 
more. Notice the question. Which of those debtors will love the moneylender more for forgiving their debts? Not which does the moneylender love more. Which of those debtors will love him more? That's the question. Goes on. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. Jesus says. I got that word highlighted because I think it's an appropriate word for Simon because Simon loves to play the judge. He's a guy who thinks he has the world figured out and and he's constantly judging and assessing what he sees before him. See, Simon, as he hears Jesus' story, he thinks he understands where this is going and a lot of us do too. Jesus is telling a story about two people and Simon thinks, okay, here I am, here's this woman, two people. Two people, one with a big debt, one with a little debt. And Jesus asked this question, you know, who's the biggest debtor and who's going to love the guy more? And Simon, of course, he answers the question for himself. He says, okay, there's two people sitting here. I get it. Two people, one with a big debt, one with a little debt. Simon immediately assumes he knows which person he is. And he assumes that he is the person with which, big debt or little debt? Little debt, of course. Yeah, okay. I get it. I got my faults, Simon thinks. I'm not a perfect man. I need God's goodness as much as anyone, and yet there are some of us who are, who are people of little debt and some people who are of big debt. To Simon, he, he, he thinks he's, he knows who he is in the story. And this is what we do all the time in relationships, isn't it? We're, we're constantly sizing ourselves up against the other person, especially when that person has hurt us, but not only when they've hurt us, we're constantly measuring the moral character of ourselves against other people. And just like Simon, we're looking at people when we're asking this question, you know, who is the bigger debtor? In this situation, you know, with me and my spouse, and we've had a fight, and and we've said things we shouldn't say, and and we've uh, exchanged ugly words, who's the bigger debtor? Who's more at fault here? That's the question we love to ask, isn't it? When you uh, hear a story on the news about someone who's had some sort of moral failure, you may feel an immediate sense of outrage at it, but, but a lot of us tend to weigh and we just go, you know, do I, am I justified in, in uh, being upset with this person? Who's the bigger debtor here? Is it, is it me or is it them? And, and, and if we can answer the question, it's me, then we'll probably show them mercy. But most of the time we don't. We, we look at other people's debts and they seem so much bigger than ours. Because like Simon, we wrongly assume that we know which person we are in this parable. We tend to assume that we're the person of little debt at least when it comes to other relationships in our lives. Now, now some of you are sitting here today, and uh, you're not under, under this, uh, this, this cloud of, of confusion. You know that you're a person who is the bigger debtor because everyone in your life has told you, and, and your sins are obvious, and, and they're the kinds of sins that people love to call attention to. And so maybe for you sitting here today, you're asking this question, who's the biggest debtor? And, and it doesn't matter who you put yourself side by side with. You know it's always going to fall to you. See, I think all of us in this room, regardless of how we answer this question in our relationships when someone has sinned against us, regardless of, of how we compare ourselves morally to people around us, I, I think the right answer to this question, who is the biggest debtor, the right answer is always Me. You got that? See, Simon wrongly assumes that he's the guy with a little debt, and that's what's messing this guy up. It is a dangerous, dangerous conclusion to draw. It's a deadly mistake to make, to assume that you're a person of little debt while you're living in a world of people 
who are greatly in debt. The reality is, the reality is, that when you ask this question, who is the biggest debtor, all of us should answer me. There's no other acceptable answer. And if you struggle with that, if you struggle to believe that, let me ask you, do you think that the sin of self-righteousness or pride or arrogance, do you think that sin is any less than the sin of adultery or whatever it was this woman had done? Do you believe that, that those sins, those, those pious sins of, of self-righteousness, do you think that's less than the sin of adultery? Of course we do, right? We all believe that. That's why we fire our pastors for adultery and we take the self-righteous and we make them the head of our denominations, right? That's why we get rid of our leaders when they've been into some scandal, but if, but if they're prideful and arrogant, we make them the head of the state. That's why Simon and guys like him, even though they're smug and self-righteous, and we're, and we're going to see the underbelly of Simon in just a minute, that's why guys like him get to be Pharisees, and, and the woman who's lying at Jesus' feet, that's why she gets to be an outcast. We totally believe that sins have different levels, and some are worse than others, and we tend to assume that the sins that people commit against us are so much worse than the sins that we have committed against them or others. And I'm telling you, that's a deadly mistake. See, so far in this parable, if you're tracking along and you feel some sort of connection with the smaller debtor, rethink it. You're not being honest with yourself. You're not truly examining the bankruptcy of your soul, which we all have. See, I don't think God is pleased with us comparing ourselves against others, trying to figure out who is the least rotten. But when we're asked this question, who's the biggest debtor, our hands should go up and we should say, it's me, sincerely and truthfully. But, but Simon can't do that. Because Simon has convinced himself that he's a pretty upright guy, although he's got some of his failures. And so Jesus is about to totally blow him out of the water. Watch this. Then he turned toward, Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. Now, now before we get into this, let, let me just tell you, th- this setup right here, I came into your house, this is a big deal. Because in Hebrew culture, the, the laws of hospitality, they were sacred laws. God in the Old Testament wiped out entire towns for acts of inhospitality. Because God is a hospitable God. He cares about this way more than just politeness or manners or etiquette. This, this is close to the heart of God. If, if you are a God follower, you will show hospitality to people. And it's even more important for Hebrew people, because if you remember in their history, if you know something about their history, there was a time in history where they were invited as guests of honor down to Egypt to escape a famine. And it wasn't long before they were turned not into guests of honor, but they were turned into slaves for hundreds of years. And so God is especially um, just, just stringent in the fact that, that no Hebrew person will ever treat a guest inhospitably because that's what the Israelites had lived through, and they're not going to be hypocrites like that. So, so what Jesus is about to point out is very significant, even though it seems small in our modern day. So Jesus turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you didn't give me any water for my feet, which was customary, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. So, so uh, normally you'd come into a house and, and you'd get to wash up. It's dirty. And who wants to sit down at dinner dirty? And, and Simon 
his first snub to Jesus is not even to offer him water, to, to wash himself. In some cultures, or in some uh, houses rather, uh, the, the host would actually wash the feet of his guests. Not just offer water, but actually do the act of service himself. Not Simon. But this woman, Jesus says, she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. I I came into your house, Simon, and you did not give me a kiss, which was customary. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. I came into your house, and you didn't put oil on my head and get me ready for dinner, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Now, now if you think that for some reason right now Jesus is forgiving this woman because of what she did, just look at the language again. That's not what he said. He's not forgiving this woman because of her act of love and service. He's saying that the whole reason she's acting this way is because she has been forgiven. She's heard about Jesus. She understands he's a man of grace. That he's a man who's all about cleaning people's slates and giving people second chances. She gets it. And that's why she loves him. That's why she's there, because she understands what he's doing for people like her. So Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, just in the same way that we can see it in her love right now. And then he concludes this way. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. See, Simon started off thinking he was the the little debtor, and now Jesus is pointing the finger at Simon and saying, Simon, do you know why your heart is two sizes too small? It's because you've identified with the wrong guy in the story. You've convinced yourself that you're a person of little debt, and so your love is always going to be small. See, it's kind of a trick parable. There really aren't two kinds of people in the world. There aren't those who are little debtors and those who are big debtors. There are only big debtors. And if there are two kinds of people, the two kinds of people are the big debtors who realize they're big debtors and the big debtors who are trying to play it off like they're not. And you can always tell the difference because the big debtors who know that they are the biggest sinner that they know, their love will be great. When they come into contact with the grace of God. But, but those who have deceived themselves. Those who go around assuming that other people are worse than they are morally. Their love will always be little. Jesus talks about this all the time in his ministry. Uh, in another place, he's speaking to some Pharisees, guys like Simon. Maybe Simon was in the group. And he says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. <laughs> what a scandalous statement to say to a bunch of religious guys. These guys are in church every day, not every Sunday, every day. And Jesus says, you know what? I tell you the truth. These tax collectors and these prostitutes, they get this. They're entering into what I came to do ahead of you. Why? Because just like you, they're big debtors, but unlike you, they know it. That's why Jesus says in another place, uh, you know, don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye while there's a plank still in your eye. See, Jesus talks about this all the time. He, He doesn't divide the world up between big sinners and little sinners. He says, you're all big sinners. But some of you realize it. And when you realize it, 
It can be a great gift of God because, because then when you realize it, you will discover that Jesus came into the world and he gave his life to die for big sinners. And he loved you that much that, that he came not to just fix mostly respectable people who've got a few problems, but, but he came to rescue the worst of sinners. And your love will be great. But Jesus says, you know, and then there's some of you, and you've, you've totally convinced yourself that you're not so bad. And maybe that's why you struggle to forgive people in your life, because you assume, you assume that you're somehow better than they are, or they're worse than you are, and they're not worthy or deserving of your forgiveness, because you've not yet grappled with the great forgiveness that God has poured out on you. See, when you realize that you are the biggest sinner that you know, when you can read this parable and you can say, I know which person I am. I'm the big sinner in the story. You know what happens? We get free. I want you to watch what Jesus does as uh, this story ends. So he, he lets Simon have it. I'm not sure if Simon got it or not. I'm not sure if we get it or not. I'm not sure if I get it or not. But, but then Jesus, he makes sure this woman gets it. Because she understands who she is. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. I mean, she knew that already, but Jesus is pronouncing it there in front of everyone. He's reassuring her that, that she is in the right disposition right now. So Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then the other guests began to say among themselves, well, who is this who even forgives sins? Who does this guy think he is? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, see, this woman believed something about herself and she believed something about Jesus. She knew she was the biggest debtor, but she believed that Jesus was the guy who came into the world to save big debtors. And not as a result of her elaborate act of, of worship, but as a result of her faith, Jesus says, you're forgiven, you've been saved, go in peace. See, I think what keeps us from forgiving others in our lives is that we've not yet grappled with our own need for forgiveness. Or if we have, we've somehow imagined that God's forgiveness is not big enough for us. And that's a lie. See, when you realize that you are the biggest sinner that you know, and when you realize that Jesus' grace really does cover over your sin, that he came exactly for a sinner like you, to not just clean your slate, but, but to teach you about life and, and, and to love on you and to, to give you a hope and a future. Then you'll find freedom. See, that's what I want to talk about in closing just really quickly. When you're forgiven, first, you're free to live without self-consciousness. I, I love that this woman, I mean, I don't know who she is, but she is bold, isn't she? I, I love that this woman just storms into the house of a Pharisee while he's having a Jewish rabbi over for dinner. And she knows what everyone thinks of her. Everyone thinks of her in that town. She gets it. But she doesn't care. Because she knows what kind of man Jesus is. And she knows already what he thinks of her. See, when you know, when you acknowledge that you're the biggest sinner you know, when you find forgiveness, the forgiveness that Jesus came to offer the whole world but you, you are free to live without self-consciousness, not worrying about what other people say about you, not worrying about the whispers of others, not worrying about the gossip out in the parking lot or the things that might be said after, uh, of you after you leave a party. Like, you don't have to worry about that anymore. 
Because when you know what God says about you, it trumps everyone else's opinion, amen? See, when you're forgiven, you're free to live without self-consciousness. And then when you're forgiven, you're free to live, uh, sorry, we're free to love extravagantly. Again, this woman, I mean, she, she comes in and she does this very undignified thing. And can you imagine, she, she's crying on Jesus' feet and she wipes his feet with her hair in the middle of a party and everyone is staring and people are gasping. But she doesn't care because this man is the man who set her free. He's a son of God who came to forgive her debt. And so her love is deep. Now, now contrast that with how we come into this place. You know, I come over here, I sit right over there, and half the time I'm evaluating whether we're doing a good enough job as a, as a staff and volunteers and putting up a service. And, and, and every once in a while a word or phrase might, might catch my heart. But, I mean, how dignified and how self-respecting are we when we come to encounter Jesus? Maybe, maybe that's just who we are, and that's personality, and that's okay. But, but I wonder, and, and part of me wonders about myself, is it somehow are we disconnected from what we've been given in Jesus? Is our, you know, reserved, dignified nature, is that a sign that, that we're identifying with the wrong person in the story and we don't understand that we are the great debtors who've been forgiven a debt we can't pay? See, when you're truly in touch with the fact that you're a sinner. And when you know that Jesus came to save sinners, you are free to love extravagantly. And I'm not calling for a bunch of emotionalism in the sanctuary. That's not what I'm saying. But but I'm saying when you're really forgiven, there's, there's a love that will well up in you. And it may force your hand to do crazy things sometimes because love does crazy things. All because of what Jesus has first done for you. When you're forgiven, you're free to live in peace. I love at the end of this, Jesus says to the woman, this woman who's lived a life of of sin, of rejection, of being an outcast, of torture, of regret, of guilt, of shame. He says to her, your faith has saved you. Go, live in peace. I mean, peace is so rare in our lives, isn't it? I mean, we torture ourselves with our sin and our guilt and our shame. We live in conflict with people refusing to grant forgiveness which takes away from our peace. As I said, some of us saw that video at the beginning and, and we watched that, that, that glass fill up with steam again and, and there's that sense that we have when we come to church that's just like that where we go, okay, my slate's been cleaned this week. Now it's my job to keep it from getting dirty again. And we go through the week just white-knuckling it, trying to save ourselves, trying to justify ourselves, trying to be righteous on our own as if God saved us once and now it's all on us to keep ourselves clean. There's no peace in that, is there? See, what if God doesn't mind wiping your slate clean 10,000 times each week? What, what if as he does that, what, is it, what if as he's cleaning that slate, what, what if there's not a hint of, of anger or impatience in his spirit like, like we feel with people in our lives? What if from God there is simply joy at being able to take your burden away? What, what if from God there's only a sense of joy and hope that, that maybe now that your slate is clean, you'll discover a little bit more 
about life that's truly life, that you'll discover more about freedom. But what if he's not angry with you? What, what if he doesn't mind cleaning your slate? Man, that'd bring you peace, wouldn't it? Just knowing that God saves people and that's what he loves to do. Last, when you're forgiven, you're free to forgive others. See, I think for so many of us, there's someone in our life, or there's some situation in our life, and we just can't bring ourselves to forgive. And, and it may take time. And yet I think the more we are in touch with how badly we need to be forgiven and, and how greatly the debts are that we have been forgiven by God. then we're more able to forgive the people in our lives. When we're not doing the comparison thing and saying, hey, I'm, I'm the big debtor, or I'm sorry, I'm the little debtor, you're the big debtor, you're in debt to me, you owe me. When, when we realize that the people who have hurt us, we're looking eye to eye with people who just like us are big debtors, and that Jesus came for all of us, then I think we're free to forgive others, finally. So let's do that. Let's get free. I'm going to invite the volunteers forward right now. Um, they're going to pass out to you this. Uh, it's, a, it's a little black piece of paper. Um, and they're going to come quickly. Come quickly, volunteers. Hope you get your tennis shoes on. The clock's running on me. All right. Um, and they're, take one of these. Everyone in this room should take one of these. And uh, this, this may seem a, li- a little odd. It may seem a little awkward. You may be connecting some things right now as you came in here and saw things on the floor. Um, but we're about to get free. And although there's, there's nothing, you know, magic or biblically prescribed about what we're about to do, I just really hope that for some of you this, this helps you find freedom so that you can live in peace and love extravagantly and live free of self-consciousness, and so that you can forgive that person in your life that you're struggling to forgive. But it starts with us, and it starts with our relationship with God. So, so as you get that paper, I think most of you have them, but a few are still getting them. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of that sin in your own life. And for most of us, we, we don't need a bunch of time, because the moment I say that, a word or, or a memory jumps to mind. Uh, it could be something in your past, something that you've done that's in the past, but you just, you, you can't let go of it. You can't forgive yourself for it. You, you can't claim the forgiveness that Jesus died to give you. You, you. you just can't seem to access it. Or for some of you, maybe it's uh, something that you're continually struggling with. There, there's a sin that's in your life, and, and you pray, and you leave it on the altar, and you hope to get better, and yet it remains in your life as a reality, and and you feel like you are wearing God out. That God's forgiveness is eventually going to run dry. You're going to go to that well and there's going to be no water left for you someday because God is just going to say you're cut off. That's enough. See, so right now I want you to picture that sin or those sins that you particularly struggle with in your own life. And, and I want you to, this is where it gets a little weird, but it's okay. We didn't want you to write these down because we didn't think you would. And we don't want you to feel self-conscious. I uh, just want you to kind of mentally write those down. I mean, see that word on the paper. See that phrase. See those words on the paper right now. 
declare it, confess it, just, just right now. Put it there. And then I want you to hear what, what John says in uh, 1 John. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, so, so we're all equally lawless. But you know that Jesus appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Do you hear that? Jesus came, he appeared, that he might take away our sins. Whatever it is, big sins, little sins, all of it, he appeared so that he might take those sins away. And in him, if you were in Jesus, there is no sin. Take the paper, crumple it up right now. Because he's taken away your sin. In him there is no sin. I want you to hear what Micah says. You will again, God, have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Now, now we don't have a sea in here for you today. We couldn't install one. It's been a busy week. Um, but here's what we want you to do. We want you to take this paper, and we just want you to, to just, just throw it in the aisle. Don't worry if you hit someone. It's just paper. It's not going to hurt anyone. Just get rid of it. Hurl it into the depths of the sea. Right? It's fun, isn't it? Because getting free is fun. And later on, as, as we come up to communion, we are going to literally trample these underfoot. Because that's what God's word says God does when it comes to our sin, that, that he buries them in the depths of the sea, those places where explorers can't find, explorers can't find sunken ships. You know, those places that they just can't get to, where, where creatures live that are from, like, other eras that we've never even seen before. That's where those sins are put. They're not for you to pick up again. Now, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but the, the sin that I struggle with in my life, the thing that I have a hard time letting go of, the, the, the thing that I can't forgive myself for, actually had something to do with someone else in my life. And while you may need a conversation, you may need to pursue rec reconciliation, your forgiveness is not dependent on that. I want you to see what Jesus himself said. Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. I tell you right now, Jesus has set you free. That's why he came. For women like the women we saw in the story and for people like us to set us free from our sin so that we can be free indeed. It's true in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to look around and just see the freedom. Look at all that paper on the floor. And I want you in just a second as we come up for communion to boldly trample those things underfoot. And I want you to promise this week that you don't pick those things back up again.